everybody. I know most of you have died, uh, literally, to sit up front. Well, today is your day. So I'll give you a moment to move forward if you want and sit up front. But uh, just wave if you can hear me in the back there, Alan. Okay. Hey, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, here at Grace, we're in this mini sermon series on the doctrines of humanity titled, I Am Human. And we're looking at various aspects of what it means to be human and to give it due consideration as children of God. St. Augustine once said, Men go abroad to admire the heights of the mountains, the mighty waves of the sea, the broad tides of rivers, the compass of the ocean, and the circuits of the stars, yet pass over the mystery of themselves without much thought. So, well, listen, this doctrine of humanity is very important and is important to us because the way in which humans see themselves affects every aspect of our lives and how we live it. And yet maybe Augustine is right. Maybe we don't give it enough thought. Our scripture this morning and our specific focus is on our need for relationships. Let me give you an illustration. I, I really like this, this movie, kind of old, but maybe you've seen it called Castaway. And I don't mean to put you on the spot, Madison, but have you seen the movie Castaway? That's too bad. <laughs> Let me give you a little synopsis. It came out about this time of year, but around 2001, starring Tom Hanks. And he is Chuck Nolan. He's a FedEx executive. He's kind of punctual or obsessively punctual. He's en route to an assignment in Malaysia. He's on this plane crossing over the Pacific and they hit this huge storm. And of course the plane crashes and everybody dies. There are no survivors except Chuck Nolan. He washes up on shore on a deserted island and he now has to survive alone. Alone. And the movie goes on and you can see it's taking a toll on him, this aloneness, this loneliness. And it's starting to affect him spiritually, mentally, physically. In many ways, he's deteriorating. And then one day, lo and behold, these FedEx packages, this FedEx plane, start washing up on shore. And he opens up the boxes, even cuts himself. And in one of the boxes is the best supporting actor. <laughs> Anybody know who this is? This is Mr. Wilson. Appropriately named. This is Mr. Wilson, and this becomes Tom Hanks' companion, his friend. And over four years, he has to live alone, but with this personified friend. And 
this is his cut, and this becomes Mr. Wilson, and he talks to him, and I guess he thinks Mr. Wilson talks back. And it gets deflated, and he puts reeds in it, and he grows hair, and this is his plan. And so, Madison, since you haven't seen the movie, I, I'd like you to take this ball. And when you, I know you're, I know you're babysitting, but when you and the family, can you catch this? That's good. Patiently No, but 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 here's the thing: if you haven't seen the movie, watch it and think about the impact being alone has. And you can be with people and still be alone. Loneliness is not good. The movie evokes very strong emotions due to its portrayal of aloneness. And it reveals our desperate need for real, authentic relations. So here's the bottom line up front for this morning. That's what it means to be human. We are relational beings. To be human is to be relational. We're going to cover three points. One, foremost, our God is relational. We were created in his image. We are relational humans. And ultimately, the truest human is Jesus Christ. I'd like to go through those and then get some application, but before I get started in the message, let's pray. Abba, Father, our holy God, our creator, we love you. And maybe equally more important, we need you. We need you this morning. I ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to rest on us, to pierce our hearts, to get your message, not just in people's heads, but in our hearts. Lord, I pray that the power of your Spirit convicts us to really think about the relations in our life, and what you would have us do to be more like you. Lord, I pray that you minimize me, maximize your message, and show your glory in Jesus' name, amen. So stop me if I go a little too fast, but a couple of key points, and I know you're gonna hear this about 400 times, relations, relational but it's on purpose. Because first and foremost, our God is a relational God. Our God is a relational God. We then are relational by nature because God by his nature is a relational being. He created us in his image and in his likeness as a relational human. In scripture, Genesis 1, let's go back there, Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, then God said, let us 
Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. God has dominion over us. We have dominion over creation. Let us make man in our image. So verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let us, it reads, let us. The doctrine of the Trinity is that God is one being who exists externally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One being externally in three persons. The Trinity means that God is a relational God. In essence, God is relational. Some theologians call what we're talking about here the dance of God. One theologian writes, the persons within God exalt one another. They commune with one another. They defer to one another. Each divine person harbors the other at the center of his being. In constant movement of overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the others. So that God's interior life overflows with regard for others. God's internal life, his being, overflows with regard for others. The Trinity is so magnificent, so special. Instead of self-centeredness, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are characterized in their very essence by mutually self-giving love. Self-giving love. No person in the Trinity insists that the others revolve around him. Rather, each of them voluntarily circles and so-called orbits the others, the dance. And if this is what God who made the universe is like, then this truth has implications for us who are made in his image. Look again at verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Bible tells us that we are in the image of God. That truth explodes with life-giving implications for all of us. If this world is made by a triune God, then relationships of love are what life is really all about. Relationships. Loving relationships. So, we are relational humans, first with God, then to others. So, hear this, at the core of what it means to be human is that you were created for relationship. You can make this more complicated, and we can talk about a lot of other things, but that's the core of what we need to remember. We were created for relationship. And first, there's an order to this. 
what it means to be human cannot be understood from our apart from our relationship to God first. Or better yet, God's relationship to you. Humanity is what God revealed in redemptive history, what he thinks and what he makes humanity to be. To be human is to be in relationship with God. To be human is to be limited by God. Benedict the 26th, 26 Pope Benedicts. Pope Benedict the 26th says, man is a relational being, and if his first fundamental relationship is disturbed, his relationship with God, then nothing else can be truly in order. That's true of all humans, those that do and don't have relationships with Two key foundations of a real relationship with God are one, His Word, and two, time you spend in discussion with God. Prayer. Prayer helps you develop your relationship with God. Prayer binds us to God. E.M. Bond says, when faith ceases, ceases to pray, it ceases to live. Reading his word and prayer will help you develop that relationship with God. So underscored, what is preeminent, what is paramount, is to be with God. Secondarily now, we are relational then to others. First to God, then to others. If you look back at Genesis 1 in the beginning when God was creating everything, he surveyed his creation piece by piece and he affirmed what? He affirmed piece by piece it was good. It was good. Verse 4, he says, God spoke light and he saw it was good. Verse 10, God spoke dry land and waters, declared them as good. Day and night, light and darkness, God saw them as good. Every living creature, God saw them as good. Beasts of the earth, God saw them as good. On the sixth day, God saw everything he made, and it was very good. Oh, dun -dun -dun -dun. there's a little spoiler. There's a fly in the ointment when we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Hear God, the Lord said, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Sin has not entered the world, and God says it is not good that humanity, men and women, be alone. We still see today that it's not good to be alone. It's a real thing. It is not good to be alone. It is unhealthy in all manners of speaking. Mentally, physically, spiritually. Aloneness results in a feeling of loneliness. 
Loneliness is a lack, a feeling that something's missing, a pain, a depression, a need, an incompleteness, an absence. The result of being alone is being feeling loneliness is horrible. A report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, more than one-third of adults aged 45 or older feel lonely. Nearly one-fourth of the adults 65 and older are considered to be socially isolated. Children of all ages feel lonely. Being alone is not good. And these numbers are alarming. And they're alarming because of the health and mental risks associated with them. Many studies, many studies published in the last five years on being alone and loneliness, heightened health risk as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or having alcohol use disorder, twice as harmful to physical and mental health as obesity, increased risk for premature mortality. We talk about diets, we talk about health, we talk about fitness. What about talking about relationships? Just because you can see somebody doesn't mean they're not alone. <coughs> Harvard study says among, among a group of older adults, that interested me a lot. Those who were more lonely were 40% more likely to die over the next four years. I'll say it again, God in the process of creation says it is not good it is not good for man to be alone. In fact, throughout the whole Bible, we see God shaping all of humanity and human relationships throughout the whole Bible. And this relational aspect of the doctrine of humanity is important to understand because how we understand humanity in large part controls how we treat other human beings and how we value other human beings. They're important. God says they're important. And in addition to our relationship with God, God commands us, he directs us to relationships with others. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He talked about one's relationship with God the Father, and then he pointed to one's relationship with his fellow man. Right here in Matthew, chapter 22, 34 through 39. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what, which is the greatest commandment of the law? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And since God is a relational being, the two great commandments of loving him and expressing his, this love for him by loving others is intensely relational. 
We were created not only for intimate fellowship and relationship with God, but with each other also. It's a creation mandate. It's a safe assumption then that relationships are at the core of Christian living. Paramount, preeminent. The first thing is relationships in our living. Godly men and women are relational. Godly men and women are relational. And evidence of your relational being are the fruits of the Spirit. The evidence of your living a relational life is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what Paul says will be a result of a person who can be considered living a godly life. In Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fact about this list is that all these characteristics we exercise we exercise in the context of relationships. Look at them carefully. None of these things happen outside of a relationship. Some are more descriptive of our relationship with God. Others are more description of our relationships with people, love, joy, peace, patience, and all the fruits of the Spirit are tested and practiced in the context of a relationship. I won't get into it, but the previous verses he talks about all the things of an ungodly life. An ungodly life that can also be practiced in relationships. Relationships then are the testing ground of kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and in fact, all the characteristics of godliness. There is no, so to speak, other proving ground than the fruits of the Spirit. So we cannot define love outside the context of a relationship. Everything we do involves God and other people. As sinners, though, we tend to naturally focus on what? Ourselves. As sinners, our natural tendency is not to focus on others, it's to focus on ourselves. Sometimes we don't even focus on God. We focus on ourselves. We're sinners, and at times, many times maybe, we live confused, so confused by this world, so distracted by this world, we confuse ourselves, we're confused by the world, we're confused what it means to be human, but we do have hope. We have hope. We have an example of what it truly looks like to be human. Jesus is the truest human. The New
New Testament proclaims Jesus Christ as vera homo, truly human, as well as vera deus, truly God. The Gospels reveal Christ as having the basic characteristics of humanity. He walked, he talked, he ate, he drank, he cried. He manifested every human emotion, every dimension of the physical aspect of mankind. There's a full identification with Jesus, with humanity, except with one respect. His moral being, in a moral distinction, Christ perfectly obeyed the Father. We don't. In his time on earth, Jesus demonstrated what being a true human should look like. Jesus says things like, follow me. When Jesus is inviting you to follow him, he's inviting a relationship. In the establishment of the kingdom that he brought, Jesus invites humans in a new way, the original way, actually. In a new way, the original way of being a human. When we follow the ways of Jesus' kingdom, we follow the path to true humanity. It's an invitation to live relationally. It's an invitation to live relationally. I want to spend some time here on application, so I'm kind of sliding into a closing. And I want to summarize that God has created us for relationships. He wants us to experiencing, experience relationships at their best. We should, you should, I should yearn for relationships where we can be completely honest, completely open, and completely vulnerable an authentic, real relationship. Where we can share our failures as well as our successes, our shortcomings as well as our strengths. Where we can find intimacy as well as confidentiality. An intimate, authentic relationship is exactly what God has in mind for me and you. And that's why he created the body of Christ. This is where we could start to get it right with the power of God's help. But how do we apply this? What do we do? So what? So what? So looking at the application, I think I offer three things. Conceive, cultivate, <laughs> and commit. Concede your need for others. Concede your need for others. Cultivate deep relationships and commit to authenticity. Number one, concede your need for others just as a child needs a mother. We need each other. Abraham Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, reinforced God's original design and plan through his hierarchy of needs. His conclusion was that each one of us has various levels of needs. As you satisfy one level, you can move to the next level and obtain some utopia. His research revealed, though, that before a person of value can become all that we were intended to be, we must first have our 
social needs met. We must be part of a group. We must be affiliating with others. We must be experience, experiencing caring and sharing relationships. So that's step one. Concede your need for others. Number two, cultivate deep personal relationships. Listen to me. Every day we find ourselves actively involved with others. No, actively involved with crowds. You're actively involved with crowds, not a relationship. There are all kinds of crowds. There's a work crowd, the school crowd, the crowd associated with activities that your children have. And the church crowd. It's easy to confuse our associations with these crowds with the experience, experience of authentic community. Authentic community where people develop authentic personal relationships. Crowds include church crowds, including church crowds, are where relationships are experienced at a superficial level. Crowds are drawn together by activities rather than to seek accountability and a deeper meaning in your life. Crowds are limited because you never get beyond superficial levels. People like my brother say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. You say fine. Everything's just fine. Everybody's just fine. How are you doing? Fine. No, no one knows anything about what's really going on in your heart, your mind, or your life. How you doing? Just fine. That's a lack of a real connection with others. Don't take that counterfeit relationship stuff. Don't take that crowd stuff. Community and authentic personal relationships. My wife's going to hate me, but Paul McCartney once wrote a song about loneliness in a crowd of others, and he said, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? Get from, from. <laughs> all the lonely people, where do they all belong? I tell you, this morning in the shower, that sounded pretty good. <laughs> that sounded pretty good, and I know we can do Photoshop, and we do Audio Shop, because that's God really... Where do they all belong? They belong in authentic community, not crowds. In authentic personal relationships with others. That's where all the lonely people belong. Don't take relationships lightly. Cultivate relations and community those authentic relations don't just happen. They require effort. Who do they require effort from? Oh, others. No. They require effort by us. They require effort by you. We have to get over ourselves and be dedicated to personal, authentic relationships. We have to do more than just reach out to others. We have to share our lives with others. 
And lastly, commit to authenticity. We have to actually commit to go to the next level, to get beneath surface talk. You know what it is. You know you're engaged in it. You gotta break it. You gotta break that cycle. You gotta get below the surface. You've gotta be interested in other people that you don't think aren't like, that aren't like you. We have to become accountable to one another. To be accountable, we have to be vulnerable. You can be strong in the Lord and be vulnerable with others. Authenticity occurs when your mask comes off. Conversations get deep. Hearts get vulnerable. Lives are shared. Accountability is invited and tenderness flows. We then become assimilated into each other's lives. Assimilation is absorbed into each other's lives. We become an active participant in others' lives. Relating to, sharing with, and caring, caring for others. The Apostle Paul, in fact, described assimilation in five words in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. I don't think we have it here. We imparted our own lives, he said. We imparted our own lives. Paul did not erect barriers. He imparted his own life. He was not aloof. He imparted his own life. He opened his life to others. And when we make room for others in our life, the walls of indifference and apathy will start crumbling down. When we make room for others, we'll discover the best in others and the best in yourself. Make room for others. Let, let, me, uh, let me close with the reminder. We are created, image-bearing, relational beings with God and with others. In his image, we are relational beings, authentic relational beings. Concede your need for others. Cultivate deep relationships and commit to authenticity. Let's pray. God, we are so distracted and confused by what it means to be us. But you've given us your word. And in the power of prayer, I ask that you convict us. And you put what we know, what you said, into our hearts and then into our feet so we can walk differently through this life. We can reach out to others. We can become vulnerable. Lord, I pray for you to teach us more about what it means to be relational in Jesus' name.